You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Harry walked slowly towards Sanktanshaven. His headache throbbed behind his eyeballs. The address Miller had given him was within walking distance. He had splashed a little water over his face, found a drop of whiskey in the cupboard under the sink, and set off hoping that the walk would clear his head. Harry gikk sakte mot Sanktanshaven. Hodepinnen slo bak øyeballene hans. Adressen Møller hadde gitt ham var i god avstand. Han hadde hivd litt vann i ansiktet, funnet en droppe viske i skapet under urslagsvasken, og begynte å gå og håpte at gåturen ville klare opp hodans. Joe Nespo is a musician, songwriter, economist, and author. His books available in English include The Red Breast and Nemesis. His new novel is The Devil's Star. He's also the main vocalist and songwriter for the Norwegian rock band Didera. In 2007, Nespo also released his first children's book, Dr. Proctor Prompopulver. Thank you for joining me, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. Did I get that name title right? Yeah, it was amazing. I was uh, I'm really impressed. That's um yeah. Do you, you you probably know the 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 English title also? No, I don't. What is it? Well, it's actually Dr. Proctor's fart powder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well we'll get to that soon enough. Um let's talk a little bit about uh your your um history as a, a reader. I, I it interests me. What did you grow up reading given it it what you ended up writing? <laughs> um, I think, uh, actually, uh, my first books uh, were American uh, writers like Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn and Mark, and uh, uh, Fennis Mark Cooper. Um, and then I probably turned to, to or uh, my mother turned to uh, uh, Swedish writers like uh, uh, Astrid Lindgren. Uh, um, and... Uh, then after that, I uh, I thought those books, you know, or uh, at least the Australian books, was a bit boring. So I uh, went to the uh, bookshelves in my in my home. I mean, I mean, there were books all around. My mother was a librarian. And my father was a uh, was a book reader. So I picked a book um, that um, that I liked. I liked I liked the look the uh, look of the book. It had a uh, pig's head on uh, on the cover uh, on a stake and uh, it read on the backside that uh, this was about children on a deserted island and I thought that sounded like uh, like a great book and I gave it to my father and said that I would like you to read this for me. This big uh, book was uh, uh, Lord of the Flies by William Golding, the Nobel Prize winner. So my father said that maybe you should wait a couple of years before I read this to you. And Noah said I, I, I wanted to read it right now and uh, so it did, and the book uh, wasn't at all what I expected it to be. Uh, so, I, I, you know, there were some places that I thought was a bit boring because I didn't really understand what was going on. So um, um, when I, my father had finished the book, he later told me that he had asked me what I thought about the book, and I said that, uh, well, I think this William Golding is quite talented, and uh, I hope that he will write a better novel than this later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Talk to me about the fiction environment in, in Norway. I, I, what kind of crime fiction is being written by 
authors in your language and associated languages. What's your what kind of fermenting stew do you find yourself in these days in terms of you know competition stuff that inspires you stuff that inspired you when you were when you were just starting out as a writer? Mm. Um, in Scandinavia right now, uh, there's yeah. a there's a wave of of crime literature and and uh, actually b- people been writing crime in Scandinavia for so many years now uh, and so many uh, talented people writing crime uh, it probably has to do with um, uh, the two Swedish writers Sjöval and Balle who started writing uh, crime in the 70s and it was a very different kind of crime fiction it uh, dealt with uh, uh, you know uh, uh, society politics and it used the, the the traditional crime novel more as a vehicle for other stories and uh, I think those two writers really inspired uh, the storytellers in in, in Scandinavia storytellers that would otherwise probably have turned to other genres in the literature uh, but they um, uh, they focus on the crime novel and uh, it still is that wave uh, way in the 90s there was a lot of um, female uh, crime writers especially Norwegian crime writers that was really great and they also paved the way for uh, for what's happening right now with uh, all these um, uh, Swedish and Norwegian and some some Danish writers uh, uh, exporting their uh, their fiction uh, all over the world, um, but I think that what inspired me was was uh, uh, not especially uh, the the Scandinavian crime writers. I was probably more inspired by um, uh, movies and also some American crime writers. I mean, I I read from a young age on, but I I read everything and uh, i wasn't especially interested in crime fiction but i there was two writers that i really liked and one was jim thompson uh, the american writer who wrote in the 50s and 60s um for example the killer inside me Mm -hmm. which in my opinion is one of the great uh crime novels it's um in my opinion it's uh it's um he wrote uh, uh, american psycho Mm -hmm. long before Easton ellis did it so 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 it was um he he was sort of a favorite but also the graphic novels writer uh, Frank Miller mm-hmm. of uh, Sin City and uh, and the Batman series he was a he was a great inspiration for me um but those were like my 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 heroes in the, in the crime fiction uh, other than that I, I I probably saw more crime movies than I read crime uh, novels and uh, uh, the movies certainly has inspired my also my style of writing. I think. Mm-hmm. Now uh, you're you're growing up. You're a reader, but you're also a musician. So tell me a little bit about your music because when I heard you read in Norwegian, it was that your language was so musical. Mm. Uh, I thought that there there's got to be a connection there. So so tell me a little bit about your history as a musician. Did you were you a teenage uh, rock star? I wasn't. All my friends were, or <laughs> or, or was on the way to be, to becoming in the, in their own minds at least. Um, so um, they asked me if I if I could write lyrics for them. So what I did when I was like fourteen, fifteen was I wrote lyrics for for my friends who played in bands, and I really wanted to play in the band uh, at some time, but. I I was playing soccer all the time, so I never got around to learn to play an instrument. Um, it wasn't until I was 22 when I had started. Uh, I had to give up soccer because I broke ligaments in 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 both knees. So I had to come up with. I you know I was sure I was going to become a professional soccer player 
playing for Tottenham Hotspur in London. Mm-hmm. At least that was my plan. So I broke my ligaments and I had to come up with a plan B, uh, which was to study um, economics and uh, business administration at the university in, in Bergen. And it was when I was in Bergen the first year, um, a guy came into the cantina and he asked, uh, he was forming a group and he asked if there was anybody there who could play the guitar. Now, I had bought a guitar the year before and I had learned two chords. So, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, I I can play the guitar. And he said, okay, how many chords do you know? Uh, three. <laughs> I said, uh, so eventually he he learned me the, the, the third chord chord and uh, uh, and I played in that band for uh, for four years and then I moved to uh, back to Oslo uh, where I was born and um, uh, my brother uh, was there and um, he had a group of um, pro- with professional musicians but they didn't have a songwriter and I'd been writing songs for uh, four years so um, he asked me um, if we if, if I want to be in the band and um, the rest of the guys they liked the songs and so we started playing at this very small club in Oslo. Uh, now, um, I, I wasn't a great guitar player and, and not a great singer either. So, and um, uh, my brother wasn't a great guitarist either. So we, we sounded awful. But uh, we got a gig at this club because a bass player, he worked there. And um, uh, after that, we got another gig and then another gig. No, not because we sounded any better but um because we were so cheap <laughs> and uh and what we did was actually we 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 had to change the name of the band every week so that people would come back <laughs> <laughs> and um, um but after a year a year and a half having played um uh, that club you know so regularly we we uh, became better and um people started asking uh, for us you know they uh, but, but since we didn't have a name they would ask uh, the barkeeper, uh, uh, "Are those guys going to play next next week?" And um, that ended up as the name of the group, those guys. So uh, the name that you pronounce so correctly, Didare, that uh, that means those guys. So uh, after uh, uh, after that, uh, we kept on playing, and one day uh, the boss of a big recording company, Universal, uh, showed up. And he had heard about the group and I heard about the songs and the lyrics for the songs. And so he offered us a record deal. And uh, a year later, we um, our first album was uh, released, which uh, uh, was the big success. I mean, it sold uh, about 5,000 copies. But I, I thought it was just amazing, the idea of, you know, 5,000 people coming into a record store, having all the records in the world to choose from, and they would actually choose our record. I, I thought that was fantastic. Um, unfortunately, the, the the record company didn't think that was so fantastic. <laughs> 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 so, um, so when we were recording our second album, uh, we sort of knew that if we if that album wasn't a hit, that would probably be our last record. So uh, the last day of the recording of the second album, um, the producer asked me, "Do do do you have a? This is a great album, but do you have a radio hit?" And I asked him, "What, uh, what is a radio hit?" Uh, well, do you have any other songs that one uh, one we recorded? Well, I have one more song. I said, and then I went into the studio. And I played it, I played it for him on guitar, and then he came back on the talkback and he said, "That's a radio hit." 
What was the title of the song? It's called uh, Girls. <laughs> There's a classic tune for a classic subject for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's, uh, we, uh, I counted that one time, and I think nine out of ten uh, songs are about girls. So uh, it's, 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 it's sort of summed up the, uni the universe of our band, those, uh, <laughs> those guys. So uh, that was like, uh, and after that, we were a big hit in Norway, and we started touring, and uh, yeah, we've been, been playing ever since. Well, that's fantastic. Now, were you working as an economist at this time? I was, oh. and um, so so it was very tough, you know, because we had um, uh, we used to play only weekends, mm -hmm. and I I worked as a stockbroker and a financial analyst. Um, but after our breakthrough, uh, three years after that, uh, we were doing one hundred and eighty gigs a year. And a year. Jeez, and, that's every uh, other night. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's a and, lot. Um, and, and the crazy thing is that I had promised my mother that I wouldn't give up my day job, uh, whatever happened. <laughs> so while the rest of the group was playing full-time, I was I was working as a stockbroker in daytime. So my day would be like I would be at my office uh, talking to the stock exchange. And at 4 o'clock, you know, when, uh, when you could hit the bell and the stock exchange closed i would grab my bag and run out into the street and uh, get a cab and go to the airport get the plane get to wherever my band was playing uh maybe in time for the sound check uh maybe in time for dinner hopefully in time for the gig <laughs> and then uh after midnight um the after the gig the the guys would go off to some party with some beautiful girls while well, i have to go back to the hotel to get some hours sleep to get on the first plane to get back to oslo hopefully in time for when the stock exchange open at nine o'clock and uh, at four o'clock you would hear the bell again and i would gra grab my bag run out to the street get the cab get the plane to where my band was uh, my life was like that for one year and after that year i i was totally exhausted so I, uh, I went to my boss and I said that I have to take six months off. And I went to my band and I said that I have to have at least a year off. So we're not going touring for a while. We're not going to record for a while. And I'm going away. And that was when I came up with the idea of writing a novel because I, I, I knew I was going to be away for a long time. And I was going to be uh, on my own in Australia. So why not uh, write a novel? Now, w why Australia? Um, coincidence. <laughs> it, it, it was just more, uh, I went to go there and a friend of mine, he came with me for the first two weeks because he had lived there for th three years. So he had a holiday. So, uh, so I th said, that, okay, uh, we'll go together for the first two weeks. Then you'll go back and I'll be uh, on my own and uh, uh, I'll have, I'm, I'm, I must have something to do. So, um, but he, he was frustrated because he thought like we were going on, on vacation together. But what happened was that I planned uh, the first novel with my character, Harry Hole, um, on the plane from Oslo to Sydney. That takes about 35 hours. And um, when I landed in, in Sydney, I, I went through customs. I took a cab. Uh, we checked into the hotel. And uh, it was in the middle of the night, but uh, I was so jet-lagged, so instead of going to sleep, I would take out my laptop and start writing about his character, Harry Hole, who uh, came to Australia, went through customs, took a cab to the hotel, checked into my, <laughs> to our room. And it was such a kick, you know, to start writing that my, 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 my friend, he, was, he would get so fed up 
with my computer and me just sitting writing somewhere that said uh, I thought we were like going on vacation together here and you, <laughs> you're just all into the uh, your computer and um, um, so uh, we traveled around Australia and he you know showed me a lot of places in Australia and then he had to go back and I would be on my own with my computer and uh, after he had left I would I would spend no, uh, a normal day for me in Australia would be, you know, in sunny Sydney would be 18 hours sitting in a small dark hotel room just typing away and uh it was uh it was annoying just to be hungry, you know, and then I would like run literally run from uh, from my computer uh to the nearest restaurant, grab something to eat, eat fast and then run back and keep on writing. So I wrote uh, a normal day would be 18 hours of writing. So it was, uh, and it was amazing. It was just, uh, I realized that it was something I had been waiting to do for so many years. Wow, that's interesting. Now, talk about maybe, give me us an idea of some of your, the buildup to this, to this explosion of writing. You must have been writing something while you were um, working as a stockbroker in, in college and then, in between the gigs, to talk yeah. about that fitting, that channeling that passion through these tiny little rivers of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, I probably started writing when I was like thirteen. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I, I I wrote lyrics for other bands, uh, but I also wrote short stories. And um, what kind of short stories? Uh, any kind of short stories. Uh, it could be uh, uh, very violent short stories, <laughs> or it could be very romantic <laughs> short stories, or it could be uh, um, short stories about uh, uh, a guy who went on to be a professional uh, soccer player in Tottenham Hotspur in London. <laughs> 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 so it could be it could be anything really. I uh, I just. I come from a storytelling family. My mm -hmm. father was a great storyteller, and uh, my uh, my brothers were storytellers. So when we had dinner, it would would always be a competition, you know, in storytelling. And um, I can remember my my father because we uh, at an early age I I understood that you know uh, my father's stories they were exaggerations, you know, eight out of ten, and the two last were were you know lies, just <laughs> something he'd come <laughs> up with. Um, but but when we caught him in a lie, he would uh, he would refer to the to the uh, German uh, uh, German guy. He said was called Sepp Windler, who won the Nobel Prize, you know, uh, for his research, uh, where he had uh, found proof that in families where you lie on a regular basis, the average lifespan, you know, is uh, is is seven years longer than in a normal family. <laughs> 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 so I sort of believe that. So I said that okay, it's probably lying is healthy. I, <laughs> I should maybe uh, make that my uh, my job. Uh, anyway, I I I didn't I didn't uh, I perhaps hoped it would be my job uh, at uh, one time, but uh, or 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 in the future. Uh, but I can also remember when I was like seventeen, eighteen, going to high school. Uh, or 15, even at 15, 16, I think, uh, I had read Knut Homsen, the great Norwegian writer, you know, but that was quite serious stuff. So it was Homsen and Dostoevsky. Mm -hmm. And we used to go to this cafe in my hometown, uh, a couple of guys with, uh, and, and we had bought like long coats and we had all, <laughs> you know, read one or maybe two uh, novels by uh, Homsen and Dostoevsky. And we would, you know, discuss the, um, the, uh, 
these books with uh, great authority and 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 uh, and we were all planning to write you know the big european novel mm-hmm. um all my friends they started on this novel but uh, uh they never finished it of course uh they had uh, uh they had uh, big problems you know uh after the first 10 pages i can remember what are we going to write now so i i i thought i'd stick to my short stories and my poems and it wasn't until i was 37 that i uh, thought that okay this is time now i'm going to write my first novel but i was careful not to you know start writing the big european novel but just <laughs> how about the crime novel i know it has a head and a tail i know how i can write the crime story i think uh, and uh, most important i have six months off from my job now i have to finish it in six months so it has to be uh, short and uh, i'll send it to a publishing house and of course it won't be published because it will have been written in such a short time but uh, hopefully uh, I will get uh, a polite offer uh, letter of um, refusal saying that um, of course we can't publish this novel but we see some talent here so uh, if you're writing something else please send it to us that was that was my 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 hope for, uh, for that novel so you you uh, started out um, your first Harry Hole novel Talk about creating this character because he's such a great character and and I think really unique in that he's both repellent and appealing. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we, what is repellent about him is simultaneously very appealing about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you? What made you create a character like that? And how long did you live with him before you first began to write as him? Mm. Um. Um, I think maybe I, he had been in my mind, and I, I'd been creating him for uh, for some time before I went to Australia. Um, he was, uh, but at then uh, at that time he wasn't a police officer. He was just a guy that I thought was interesting. Uh, what I was looking for was a guy that I could give moral dilemmas. He was like a sort of guy who wasn't a uh, you know a moral superhero. He would be. He would have his weaknesses and i think um in harry's case he he's a man of contradictions he is um he's um, uh, around 40 years old uh single um his girlfriend um, uh, committed suicide when he was young um he's an alcoholist um partly uh maybe because of uh, what has happened in his uh, in his life at a young age but also alcoholism runs in his family Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is like he's he's not uh, uh, he's not you know the 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 he doesn't drink like the cool American hardboiled detective who wakes up a bit hungover in the morning making cool remarks about this uh, about it. Uh, when Harry starts drinking, he uh, he stops functioning. He can't work, and uh, he's um, he's just um, he's just drinking. That's all he's doing. Um, but. Um, uh, on the other hand, he he is always the first guy uh, uh, at work in the morning. Um, his apartment is very tidy. He's trying to keep his life very simple. He's very disciplined when he's not drinking. Um, he he tried to stay away from close relationships, uh, probably because uh, the lesson he learned is that if you if you love people, uh, they will be taken away from you. That is like his uh, his mother died when he was uh, young. Like I said, his girlfriend committed suicide, 
and um, early on in the series also is uh, the one colleague that he has a close relationship to uh, uh, she is also uh, killed uh, on duty um, so he is um, he is a very lonely man he he uh, likes to s- to stay that way he 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 may appear uh, a bit uh, cold and harsh uh, yet he's he's this very romantic person and very passionate pers- uh, person he's very passionate about his work and it does uh it does believe in um in uh, the scandinavian society i mean in in the political system he believes in law and order on the other hand he probably feels closer to the criminals that he's chasing than his colleagues at the police force um and um he is a man who doesn't always do the right things uh, morally and I, I think that is what people find so exciting about harry is that mm-hmm. they never never know whether he's going to do the right thing or not but they they cheer for him they want him to do the right thing and in in my eyes he's a hero because uh, he he may not do the right thing on all occasions but he will always wake up the next morning with good intentions you know and 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 hoping to do the right thing so he's a man is he's he's a man with uh, some weaknesses in his character on the other hand he's a man with uh, with uh, with a conscious con- consciousness and uh, and um, uh, so he's a hero in that he never gives up one of the things that that I think is really interesting about Harry is the way that you work with the um his alcoholism um to create a, a the way it affects his perceptions, and I think even at the, at a prose level, you, you you work this very well to give us this sense of discontinuity that of in, in his experiences, and that makes the 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 narrative seem kind of surreal. Mm. Uh, I have when I worked with his alcohol, or when I decided that I would um, use alcoholism as his uh, Achilles heel. Um, uh, I thought of. Um, I remember thinking about Superman. As I, I was never a Superman uh, uh, fan, uh, but I uh, I liked Batman, but not <laughs> Superman. It was uh, uh, and I wasn't sure why. And uh, but then I realized it, it was because I I thought it was boring that he was you know, that he didn't have any weaknesses. Okay, he had one, and that was Kryptonite. And I think that without the Kryptonite, Superman would never have succeeded as a you know as a popular. Uh, uh, hero um but so i knew that okay i had to give harry this uh this kryptonite so it, it would be alcohol and then i started looking for uh, for role models uh, <laughs> uh, that are people that i that i knew and i talked to people i went to aa meetings i was allowed to get in there and um, um and talk to them but then i realized that you know alcoholism it's 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 like any other uh, you know uh, thing in in your life or in, in your personality that is different from person to person it's it's not like you can describe an alcoholist is like this or like that is um, it's uh, so i i concluded that okay um, he has to be he, his alcoholism uh, can't be you know the result of um, of of research it has to be fiction. It has to be someone that I can believe in myself. It has to be a human being. 
Um, and so that was, you know, like my basic idea, uh, idea for his alcoholism. One of the things I think that's really interesting about your your mysteries um, is that, well, here in America we have mystery and we have a history of mystery fiction, but we don't actually have a whole lot of history that's taken place on American soil. I mean, it's we came to being and now it's about it. And but there hasn't been a lot of turmoil uh, compared to, say, Europe, Norway. I mean, there you're surrounded by history. You're immersed in, literally in millennia of history. And, and you use history, I think, as it's something that, that is of recurring interest to you. So talk about how history and maybe I, I'm wondering if your, your work is in economics has informs any of this history. Um. Well, I think uh, first of all, uh, I think that uh, my 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 work as an uh, economist uh, um, has very little to do with my writing mm -hmm. and also my my music. I I try to avoid the milieus that I've too uh, that I'm too close to. Uh, actually, I uh, I like better to to write about milieus where I have to do research. It uh, makes it easier for uh, somehow to be outside looking in mm -hmm, instead mm -hmm. of already being inside and try to describe it to somebody outside. Um, mm -hmm. um, but um, history, yes, I, I think what I've used, especially in my books or especially in one novel, The Red Breast, is mm -hmm. uh, the Norwegian experiences during the Second World War, which is uh, a very important part of uh, Norway's self-image as a nation because Norway is is a very young nation. We were uh, in union with Sweden up until 1905. Mm -hmm. So we have sort sort of uh, had to um, to 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 create um, a self image after 1905, and it's very much based on um, uh, explorers going to the North Pole and the South Pole, and uh, our resistance. Uh, uh, during the world war when we uh, when we were occupied by the Germans. And it is especially this uh, history that we have written about ourselves during the Second World War that has been very interesting uh, for me uh, to see how um, how every country will try to make uh, themselves, you know, the heroes in, in their own movie. Um, so I have sort of um, tried to not not uh, revise that history, but to um, to, um, to to point to uh, to some other stories that Norwegians may not like to hear about the Second World War, and I could do that because my my mother's side of the family they were on the resistance in the resistance movement, mm -hmm. while part of my father's uh, family fought with the Germans against the Russians. Uh, now they, my father grew up in Brooklyn, New York, together with my grandparents. And when they uh, came back to Norway in the 30s, they were very anti-communism. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And so when uh, the Germans uh, occupied Norway, um, it was like they saw that um, Europe at that time had two strong uh, uh, persons that they could choose between. I mean, the old democracies like England and uh, France were literally bankrupt. Uh, America was a long, uh, uh, was on the other side of the globe, and uh, so they could choose between Stalin and Hitler. 
And uh, for uh, for my father's family, that was an easy choice. I mean, uh, they feel somehow related culturally to the Germans, while the Russians they were like the you know the big scary enemy. Uh, so they chose to uh, to fight with the Germans uh, against the Russians on the Eastern Front. Um, but uh, after the uh, after the war, uh, uh, the my father who had uh, fought on the Eastern Front, he had to go to jail for three years. Um, so it was strange, I guess, when he met my mother, who had uh, herself been in the resistance movement. They met some years after the, the war, and I asked them about how, uh, you know, the wedding day with, the, uh, you know, the <laughs> family's meeting, how that was. But it was actually, it, it, it was it was okay. But uh, it's very interesting to be, you know, in a family where, where history... Uh, uh, or at least the new history plays such an important role, and uh, you can hear stories about him uh, fighting in the trenches against the Russians, and my mother, you know, uh, 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 running the streets of all of a sudden like an undercover agent. Wow. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I think, uh, uh, well, you know, I want to ask you. You know, you're very. You mentioned that you liked Batman. Your very first Harry Hole novel was called The Batman, right? Yes. So tell us about creating the Batman and, and mm. you know, just when you started this out, did you think this would be the, your only novel about this character or did you already have a, a, an arc planned? Um, I did not have, an, uh, have a plan for, uh, for Harry at that time because uh, I didn't think it would get published. <laughs> I, I, I wrote it in, in five weeks and uh, when they asked me at the publishing house how long time did you spend uh, writing this novel i i said two years just <laughs> make it sound like a, <laughs> you know, i put a lot of work into it now i did put a lot of work into it but i i, I worked for uh, so long hours you know that mm -hmm. uh, the, uh but uh, the title uh the batman uh, does not refer to uh, to Batman, uh, the American Batman, but mm -hmm. uh, to an uh, Aboriginal myth in uh, in um, Australia. It's this myth about uh, this woman uh, gathering um, uh, food, uh, and um, she is going to this tree, and uh, there's some honey up in the tree, and she has been told not to go to that tree, and that she. Uh, 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 because then she could wake up the Batman who lives inside the tree. And that is exactly what happens. She tries to shake the tree and the Batman wakes up and he uh, flows out of the tree. And that's when death enters the world. So it's very fascinating because it's, um, it's, a, it's a myth, Aboriginal myth. I mean, uh, the Aboriginals have been living 40,000 years, uh, totally isolated uh, in Australia. Still, they have this story that uh, reminds you of the story of Adam and Eve. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, more mm -hmm. or less the same story. Um, so this, uh, this myth and some other myths uh, are uh, sort of woven into the, the story of... Uh, Harry's adventures in Australia, where he's sent um, because um, there's a young uh, Norwegian girl who's found murdered there. It, one of the things that, that I think is really interesting about the, the way you write is that I think it's, uh, I would describe it as somewhat digressive. You'll, you'll give us uh, these wonderfully long and, and uh, descriptions of things. Uh, talk about uh, these kind of, uh, your, your prose style and, and um, how you just, when you sit down for your writing day, how long, you, you, do you write for 18 hours straight or do you 
have a word goal now or do you give yourself a little bit of a break now that you've had some success? <laughs> yes, well, I, um, I, I do actually have a word goal. Uh, I don't uh, work for 18 hours mm. uh, uh, nowadays, uh, but uh, uh, a thousand words a day, that's, that's, like, uh, that's like the goal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good to have you know, a, a, a goal like that that you can just go to the word count and see, okay, <laughs> how, because I could, <laughs> I, uh, if, if I did not that, I, I, I probably sit and you know, write all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, um, and uh, uh, what I like to do is to is to create a story before I start writing on a novel. Mm-hmm. I, I spend a lot of time uh, working with the plot and uh, working uh, with uh, different scenes that I know uh, are going to be in the story and put it all together. I I will write a synopsis when I come up with, the, with an idea for a novel. I will first write a synopsis of about five pages, then uh, twenty pages with uh, with the plot, and then a uh, hundred pages where I uh, start working on the characters. And just often, if if I write some dialogue, the uh, the, the um, you will see the characters. They, they, there are sometimes I, I just start writing di- dialogue and uh, the dialogue will sort of create the character instead of the other way around sometimes. Mm. Um, and when I've written a synopsis of 100 pages, th- then I really know my story. And that's the feeling I like to have when I sit down and start writing novel. I mean, when I write chapter one. It's not the feeling of starting to create a story. But mm-hmm. I like to have the feeling of retelling a story that's already there. So I can sort of tell my readers that, okay, come sit closer because I have this really great story that I want to tell you. And so, so, so to give you that feeling that I know the story, you don't know the story, I know it, I'm not creating this now. I'm, I'm, I'm retelling the story and my only job is not to destroy the perfect story that's already there. Uh, so that's why I spend so much time, you know, before I actually start writing the novel. This sounds like uh, you're, in a sense, trying to recreate your family kitchen table. Yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a good point because what, that was exactly what we did there. It was We had heard all the stories before. And actually, you know, uh, my, my big brother would, uh, would tell a story that my father had told, you know, 10 times before. <laughs> uh-huh. And he would retell the story in, and he would try to tell it even better than my father had told it, you know. So, so it was sort of, um, sort of a, yeah, um, tr- trying to tell it, find the perfect way, way to tell uh, that one story. Um, talk about uh, some some of the the the, the crimes that that you that uh, you write about. You you have a really interesting sense of 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 crime, I think, and I think it, this comes from you know your your setting, Norway, which is unfamiliar to us. Uh, how when you're when you're in that synopsis creating phase, do you like look for uh, newspaper stories, or do you just think? You know, I think it'd be a really good idea to start, you know, robbing banks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. thinking about the well, nemesis. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, actually, uh, I think um, I normally I, I don't look for real crime. I, uh, uh, I don't get my inspiration there because I, I write fiction. Mm-hmm. And although I use uh, the Norwegian society and Oslo as a backdrop, I also... I have created an Oslo that is just a little bit darker 
mm-hmm. a little bit more. Uh, it's sort of a Gotham City version of uh, of <laughs> Oslo in a way, um, but it but it is Oslo, and it's not that far fetched because um, uh, 15, 20 years ago, Oslo was this very innocent village in the north of Europe. Uh, what happened was that uh, um, you had organized crime coming to Oslo. Um, and uh, nowadays, uh, Oslo is one of the worst cities in uh, in Europe when it comes to um, uh, death from overdoses. So heroin is a big factor in, uh, in uh, Norway, and uh, especially in the big cities. Um, and you have... Um, uh, international uh, cartels working the, the the drug business and also international cartels uh, running prostitution uh, which is growing in uh, in uh, in especially in Oslo um, and you also in a, in especially in the 90s you had uh, you had really professional Norwegian gangs robbing banks and they did it you know uh, in, a, in a military style you had for example in the in the 90s you had a big robbery in uh, in the small town of Stavanger and it was like a scene taken out of uh, heat you know mm-hmm. a movie with Al Pacino and uh, Robert De Niro uh, uh, and it was like this town was under siege for for uh, many many hours and uh, the police and the and the robbers were shooting at each other, and one police officer was uh, was killed, and they used automatic weapon. It was like a war, and it was crazy. Now after that, um, they um, uh, they arrested many of the you know um, uh, the top bank robbers in uh, in uh, Norway. I actually met one of them uh, a few years earlier in in a, in a small village in Brazil, where, where he told me about his really work, work as bank robber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and. Um, and so, so what did ba- he say? <laughs> oh well, uh, I asked him. Um, he he was there in a small village where um, it was uh, uh, on the west coast of, uh, of Brazil. This was many years ago, and it was a place where um, you know hippies used uh, used to go uh, in the winter time uh, to make the jewelry that they would then go back to Europe and America and sell in the streets. But it was also a hiding place for criminals, uh, South American criminals and uh, criminals from all over the world. And uh, I, I was there traveling with uh, two friends and uh, we met these three Norwegian guys and they would be um, doing coke and uh, one of them came from the drugstore with uh, all kinds of stuff. So he'll read on the bottles uh, uh, what they contained, you know, and w- whether they were uppers or downers. And uh, yeah, so... And then uh, we we started talking and asking. Um, uh, two two of the guys worked as uh, as oil workers in the North Sea, so they had like three weeks off and three weeks on, and then they would come to the uh, to Brazil. But the third guy, I asked him, what, what do you do for a living? Uh, he said, Well, I'm a bank robber. <laughs> okay, I said, Really? <laughs> yeah. And he told me all the banks he robbed, and I said, Okay. And how is business now? Well, he said, You know, usually I get caught and I have to um, I have to go to jail. But uh, the last robbery was successful. We got away, so now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's wild. Um, one of the things that 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 also makes your uh, novel so interesting is. Um, the way and it, and it's a classic thing about the, the the crime fiction is crime fiction allows you to look at every level of society with equal amounts of dispassion that your detective can hang out with the lowest of the low and be accepted among them and he can intrude upon the highest of the high and 
they they have to accept him and, and uh, as an equal, really. So talk about investigating Norwegian society with Harry Hole, which must be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Norway's uh, past is that we've been a very poor country. And uh, traditionally, um, you have had uh, like um, uh, a, a society where you, you don't have really poor people uh, uh, nor very rich people, um, uh, and that uh, separates Norway from from Denmark and Sweden in a way, where you had a more of a class society. Um, and one reason is that Norway was poor; everybody was poor uh, in the in the nineteen. Uh, but but they weren't starving. Mm-hmm. Um, in the nineteen twenties, uh, Norway was one of the three poorest countries in in Europe, together with you know, Portugal and Greece and Ireland. Um, but what happened was that uh, Norwegian society step by step uh, improved their standard of uh, living. And in the 1970s, um, we found oil, or actually you Americans found oil outside uh, um, uh, the Norwegian coast. And suddenly, over a few years, Norway would go from being a, uh, a uh, well a country that was well off to being one of the richest countries in the world. And um, uh, it has changed Norwegian society in many ways. And uh, um, for the first time, you have really, really rich people in uh, Norway. But there still is this tradition of, you know, it's it's been run by... uh, Actually, all political parties in Norway are social democrats. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them call themselves conservatives, and you have a labor party. But it's um, it's it's consensus, you know, all over the all over the line. What the the the, the issues that they fight over are, uh, you know, tiny issues. It's uh, it's not really politics. It's just administration. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's a it's it's um, it's a social democrat society, where you where society actively try to re- reduce the distance between the poor and the rich. But it's uh, it's been harder uh, the, the last 20, 20 years uh, with so much oil money flowing into the country. So um, uh, it's um, uh, Harry is exploring a society that is changing and where you have, uh, have uh, rich people trying to um, ty- uh, trying to make money and to, to, to use the system. Uh, Norwegian society is kind of an innocent society. It's a, uh, it's uh, uh, you know, a country where uh, I would say that uh, Norwegian people are, are are known to be a bit naive, but very honest people. Um, so it's um, uh, when the organized crime came to Norway, it was like you know the grown-ups coming in, taking uh, the goods <laughs> away from the children. You know, <laughs> that was the feeling uh, we had in uh, Norway. But it's uh, everything is changing now. It's uh, uh, I think the society is, is is becoming a bit uh, a bit harder, maybe a bit colder than it used to be. You you mentioned that a lot of your influences were were movies, and your prose is really has uh, some of that feel. The the uh, uh, you know was often described as a cinematic feel, but I think it the if it's a cinema if your prose has a cinematic feel, it's a dark. <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in the dark and it's pretty dank and and all you'd need to do is hang a few monsters from the ceiling and it could go from uh, Norway to some science fiction surreal science fiction kind mm. of setting uh, mm. talk about uh creating uh, that kind of movie feel and maybe talk about some of the movies that that you found that you see when you read your books and you think oh man 
this is reminds me of this. I'm, I'm doing yeah. pretty good. Um, I'd say that the movies that I've that I've seen over and over is um, uh, I, w- I wish I could say that it's a movie that you haven't heard about and that is really original pick, but uh, it it would have to be The Godfather. I'm afraid mm-hmm. that's like that that, that uh, storytelling technique and the and and the passion that you find in the in the in the, in the storytelling uh, style there it's so inspiring and uh, but also um, uh, uh, yeah another um couple of mo- uh, couple of movie is of course um, the conversation mm. i think it's called in uh, in mm. english with uh, with uh, gene hackman gene hackman one of my favorites yeah and it's a great movie and it's a great story mm-hmm. and uh, but it's a bit more low key than uh, mm-hmm. than uh, the godfather uh, so I think those movies, but also um, uh, Seven is a great uh, <laughs> is a great movie. We, we mentioned that before we start uh, started talking, uh-huh. and, uh, or you mentioned it. So uh, is is one of my favorites too. Uh, but also um, interesting movies like um, like uh, the Usual Suspects. I, I like that's a typical. You know, it, it it it's sort of movies that doesn't try to avoid the cliches. This, but they sort of embrace the cliches because because they lie. They love the cliches of the of the crime novel or the crime story, and I like that. Uh, that's what I like, uh, for example, about uh, Frank Miller's uh, Sin City series, both as uh, graphic novels and uh, as a movie. Uh, I like to do that, you know, to to use the genre uh, and to use the rules of the genre because it creates a sort of a because there are rules to how you how a story mm-hmm. should be told, and that uh, uh, that allows uh, an um, uh, intimacy between the reader and the writer. Um, y- you can play with the reader. You can sort of uh, say that okay, uh, it's a crime novel. You you have certain expectations here, and you can play with those expectations. You have to sort of. Um, um, you have to follow the rules to a certain extent, but then at a certain point you can break the rules. Um, but it's uh, that's sort of uh, that you you will make the reader the reader trust you hopefully, but then you will deceive him or her at certain points. And uh, and that that you know playful kind of storytelling I uh, I really like. Uh, you know I absolutely love this notion. I, I've never heard anybody articulate this this well before about. The genre conventions allowing creating uh, 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 an intimacy between the reader and the writer because there's an unspoken conversation going on between us when we read this when we read your books when we read the Red Breast or or the Devil's Star you know we'll let's just talk a little bit this Devil's Star is your newest book it, it involves a serial killer we. I, I pick this up and I, I go, okay, here's a serial killer story. And I have a whole, you know, shelf of serial killer books up in my head. And I know you do too. Mm-hmm. And there's this conversation between us. It, there, I read, you put something on the page and I read it. But there's a whole conversation that's unspoken between us about the history of the literature based on the rules and the way you are writing them and rewriting them. That's right, and I, uh, I mean, I, I expect my readers to be smart, <laughs> <laughs> and I expect them to, to to have you know seen some of the movies that I've seen and and read the, uh, some of the books. So um, it's um, 
I try to be smarter than I am because I'm no smarter <laughs> than my reader, really. But I, I, so I have to spend more time than my reader, you know, to 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 uh, uh, to sort of uh, uh, try to trick them. Now, um, when you try to trick yourself, I one of the things I, I I like about these books, and it surprises me the way when you describe the way you write them, which is to you know. Uh, essentially pitch, synopsize, uh, flesh out the outline, and then finally sit down and, and retell the story. It seems to me that um, that these books seem really fresh when we read them, and you your character goes places. As you say, sometimes he makes decisions we don't expect him to make. We don't, No reasonable person would make that decision, and, but, and that's what we like about Harry Holes is that mm-hmm. he is un- unpredictable. Um, uh, but how do you, um, having... Knowing the story so well as you do when you sit down to type it, to, to write out the final novel, how do you create that sense of suspense and freshness when it's to you? It's, you know, you, you probably, you, you've got a timeline on the damn mm. thing, a database. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, I was surprised when I started writing. Uh, you know, I, sometimes I would come home late at night and I would feel really inspired a bit drunk and really inspired <laughs> and i would sit time uh, down and i would type you know uh, or or record a song uh because and and i would think it was wonderful and i would wake up the next morning and i would run you know to to hear what i had recorded or read what i had written because i i remember feeling so inspired i w- and it would be just crap you know i had to throw it away um so i was surprised to find that um when you when it feels like you're in trouble when it feels difficult uh when you have to sort of uh you know every l- sentences is a is a sen- it's it's labor you know it's uh and it doesn't feel fresh at all it's um, agonizing yeah and you you work on your sentences over and over and then when it's in a novel later you can see that it's often the passages that you had to work hardest on. It's those passages that feels fresh and it feels easy because you have worked on them for uh, for so long. So I, I I wish it was the other way around. <laughs> you know that <laughs> the days when you feel really everything is just uh, going smoothly and you it's just a type of way it comes to you. But um, afterwards, when you look at it, it's um, uh, when it. It was a famous Norwegian writer called Dag Solstad. He's one of our greatest uh, writers. He doesn't write crime, but uh, he he told me that uh, whenever he felt felt like th- this is easy, now it's easy, then he would stop writing because then he knew he was tired. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a <laughs> that's very interesting. Now, uh, you we have three books here in the U.S. Um, and I think there are maybe five out in English. I think in the UK there's there's a couple extra. Um, so do you do you know what the plans are for publication? Will we get the first two novels? One of the things, what you know, I read The Devil Star first, and then I said, well, gosh, this guy has so much history. I I, I love, you know, his history. So I went back and, and and read the other ones. And what I told my readers is, you know, buy The Devil Star, but start with the red breast because you're going to get fur- will we get further back do you know what the plans are for the translation or publication of your other stuff 
Um, well, first of all, there's already two more novels after Devil Star that has been translated to English, mm -hmm. and uh, they have been published in uh, in the UK right. uh, and also in uh, in Canada. Um, so, uh, so uh, here in the United States, you're actually a bit behind. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you will you will catch up in a, a, a year and a half, I think. Okay. Um, the first two novels um, uh, we didn't uh, try to 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 sell abroad. Uh, and that was sort of my my decision because mm -hmm. it was about Harry going to Australia, and I thought, uh, how interesting can it be for foreigners to read about a Norwegian going to Australia? At least it should be in Oslo, you know. So um, uh, if people uh, were interested in Norway, they should read about Harry in in Oslo. Um, but uh, now the the series is so popular in the UK, so uh, they have decided they want to translate the first two books also, which takes place in. In Australia, the first one, and in Bangkok, uh, the second one. Um, so uh, hopefully, um, you you will see them here in a couple of years or something. It talk about uh, creating, you know, developing Harry's character, and one of the things that I think you do really well. Um, that keeps us coming back for for mystery readers, uh, mystery series, is the recurring characters. Um, Tom Waller. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, why? Why are I? I really wonder why these kind of repugnant snake-like characters <laughs> are just so wonderful to read about. Why? Why do you think that is? Uh, I think when you when you create a, a character like that, you 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 have to sort of um, um, there are so many dis so many things you dislike about that person, but you have to find a couple of things that sort of. Uh, connects him to humanity you mm -hmm. know that he, uh, he has to be th th there has to be certain things that you like about him also it could be that he's charming and so uh, I made this person that uh, I mean he's very hard to like <laughs> but there has to be some things that mm -hmm. you sort of uh, unconsciously like about him to make him interesting and uh, in this case I think Harry's problem is that he really hates this guy uh, Tom Bowley, who is a corrupt police officer, and he's a he's a great investigator, but um, he's corrupt and he makes money uh, selling uh, selling weapon, uh, and there are also um, uh, other police officers who are uh, uh, cooperating with uh, him, and uh, while Harry is this lonely wolf that that they're a bit afraid of because uh, they don't know what he's going to do and he's not the type of loyal police officer that would be, uh, you know, loyal towards the... Uh, the... the uh, the police force. So... Um, he doesn't know what he's going to do sometimes. No, that's right. That's <laughs> right. So... Um, so, um, but uh, Harry's problem is that he, he can see the similarities, you know, mm -hmm. between himself and, and Tom Bowler. And I, I think that um, Harry, in, in, in many ways, he's, he hates, you know, his, uh, or he despises himself, you know. It's, uh, so, and all the things that he despises about himself, or many of the things he despises about himself, he's, he can see in uh, this Tom Bowler character. And that makes him hate him even, uh, even more. And uh, 
And also for the reader, I think it's a bit disturbing, you know, that they can probably see that there are similarities between Harry and mm-hmm. uh, Tom, uh, mm-hmm. Tom Bowley. And actually what happens over the series is that Harry is becoming a more and more dubious character. He's, uh, he's having more and more trouble making the right moral choices. And that's what I like about him, you know, that he's sort of drifting towards the dark side. And what you want to know as a reader is whether he is going to be saved before he goes to hell. Is he going to heaven or is he going to hell? <laughs> that is actually what we're looking for in every story. I think that, uh, you know, in a typical uh, disaster movie, you will have the hero driving away from the volcano that has erupted. And you will, of course, want to know whether he will get away or not. But what you really want to know is whether he's going to do the right thing. Is he going to stop and turn back and drive towards the volcano to save his worst enemy who's stuck there? That is what you really want to know. Is he going to make that choice? Well, that's a... <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't want to be uh, Harry's worst enemy stuck at that <laughs> volcano. <laughs> no, right. No, right. Because he can't be trusted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you... Um, as influenced as you are by the movies um, and interested in them, do you see these as being movies? When you write these, do you think about, well, gosh, this could be a movie? Or or has there been any interest in that that for you? And I mean, I don't know what the film business is like in in, uh, Mm. Norway. I've been over the years. I've uh, I've had uh, uh, I've had some offers here for 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 movies, but I I've turned them down uh, for different reasons. But uh, reasons, but most important uh, because I don't want to destroy the universe of the novels. Uh, mm. I mean, the movie uh, is such a strong medium compared to the novel. Um, so I'm afraid that um, uh, if you had the guy playing Harry, that would sort of be. Harry in the readers' minds and perhaps also in my mind. So I'm still writing the series. So I said no up till now. Um, I said let me finish the series first, and if you're still interested, come back because right now, instead of having one guy playing Harry, I'd rather there be you know a thousand Harrys in the heads of my readers. That's a fascinating observation, and that's that's absolutely true. That's one thing uh, I always prefer the the universe of the books now this indicates to me what you're saying is you have some idea what's going to happen to harry i, I do i i have a storyline for him and um he's what i i'm not going to tell you how many novels there will be or how it will end but what i can tell you is that uh, he is not going to have eternal life and when it's over he's not going to rise from the dead <laughs> I've been speaking with Joe Nespo. His new novel is The Devil's Star. Thank you for joining me, Joe. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.